From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. One of the most consequential political shifts of 2022 was the election of several Teal independent candidates to the federal parliament. Apart from their policy priorities, the other thing that the Teal candidates had in common was funding from Climate 200. The lobby group is led by Simon Holmesacourt, the son of Australia's first billionaire. We'll be back with a summer series of special episodes on January 2nd, but until then, we're revisiting some of the best episodes of 2022. In this interview from May, Holmes Court gives us staggering insights into how the campaign for independent candidates was run. Simon, on election night, you were in Kuyong, where Monique Ryan beat Josh Frydenberg. She's one of the Teal Independents who's supported by your group, by Climate 200. So can you tell me about the night? It was an amazing night. There were about 1,200 people there at the Auburn Hotel. Simon Holmes Accord is standing by one of the big backers of the Teal uh, candidates. Where are you actually, Simon? I can see you're at a party, but I don't know exactly where you are. I'm, I'm here at the Auburn Hotel uh, in Hawthorne, which is in the middle, middle of Kuyong. It was quite, quite an electrifying feeling. I have given you my reasoning. It wants to be free. I, I can't get see it. Josh Frydenberg getting above 43% on mm. the votes we're seeing. And if he can't get above 43%, he's going to lose that contest. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, Anthony, that in, in... I think most people had set their expectations pretty low. They were, they were thinking, well, we, we got close, but let's be prepared for a loss. And as the numbers started coming in, some of the first booths that came in were, were from the more conservative end of the electorate. Uh, an end that was people thought we weren't going to get any traction in. And uh, when Anne Capling, the um, campaign director for Monique, when, yeah, when she saw Baldwin and Deep Dean uh, both have massive swings towards Monique, she, at that point, you know, she let out a squeal of delight. And it was quite clear to her that things were going um, better than the low expectations that many of us had set. Our government wasn't listening to us. So we've changed the government. Yeah, well, not many people did expect that Monique Ryan, who was... I suppose a largely unknown doctor at the time could actually go on to beat the sitting treasurer with all of his profile and the support that he had. So let's go back a few steps if we can, Simon. Could you tell me about where the idea for for Climate 200 came from and what your involvement was and and what motivated it? Yeah, so Climate 200, it's hard hard to pick back where the beginnings are, but I think one thing that's important is to understand that this movement started long before we came along, long before I came along, can probably be traced back to the Indi campaign in 2013 that elected Cathy McGowan. What makes these community independents different is that the campaigns exist first and go out looking for a candidate. So it's not someone putting their hand up saying, I want you to vote for me. Like They go out and try to find the best person in their community who's in a position to stand and then build these amazing campaign 
teams that very much harness you know, large volunteer bases. So in, in Kuyong, there were, there were over 2,000 volunteers. And those sort of massive numbers can be seen across all of the successful campaigns. So Climate 200 um, is one of many cogs in this massive uh, movements machine. Um, I started it in 2019, frustrated that so I, I'm on the I'm I'm on the board of um, uh, uh, of the Australian Environmental Grantmakers Network. It's a philanthropic community that looks to help philanthropists be more effective with their giving into environmental causes. And one thing that struck me is that we, as, as a philanthropic community, spent so much time funding organisations that were trying to make change, only to find that the great ideas, the great proposals, the great advocacy just hit a brick wall in Canberra. We were hacking at the branches when striking at the root meant we needed to have a majority of MPs that wanted science-based response to climate change. And I think very tightly connected here is uh, restoring integrity to politics. So Climate 200's job was to work towards having a majority of MPs that support climate and integrity. And after the you know, series of you know, shocking events that came to light in 2021, um, we, we decided to add a third value, which, which was advancing uh, the treatment and respect for women in Australia, whether it's in the community, the workplace, uh, or politics. Mm. And you wrote in the Saturday paper at the weekend about the, the state-of-the-art research methods that were employed by Climate 200 to make sure that you focused on seats that were winnable. So can you tell me what that actually involved? Yeah, with with um, research, there's always quantitative and qualitative. Uh, qualitative is is um, focus groups mainly. We was was the majority of what we did, and that was fairly standard. But it but gave us a sense for what are the issues that resonated in those communities, and how did people feel about the government that we had been experiencing over the last three terms. But on the on the quantitative front, it's often said that you can't trust seat polls that seat polling is the least reliable form of polling. We polled frequently. We made sure that the samples were corrected against a whole range of demographic information that's not, not in common use amongst the major polling organisations. But we, we ended up collecting much more information from the electorates uh, that we uh, ended up supporting than is typically done in the, in the kind of national polls. So we didn't, we didn't spend any time looking at the national polls. So it really wasn't interesting. Yeah, in the, in the last federal election, a lot of organisations tried to make it a climate election. They worked really hard to make it a climate election, and afterwards um, there was a lot of scoffing, saying, "Well, you didn't manage to do that." Um, for all the efforts, it it didn't cut through enough. I think what's interesting in this movement is that it wasn't trying to turn the whole election into a climate election, but these community campaigns are restoring the notion. We, we often hear the, the political saying that all politics is local. Well, it. it it hasn't been for for quite a while. It's, um, uh, we've had sort of national discussions, but this movement brought politics back very much to the local level. So I'd say it was a climate election in about a dozen electorates. Mm. And once all of that was taken into account, what did you offer? So the main thing, the most important thing we offered was um, financial assistance to run the campaigns. Uh, and typically, just taking a step back, Climate 200 is effectively a giving circle or a crowdfunding campaign. We have we raised about $12.5 million from 11,200 donors. So we started off on, on Twitter, amazing community there. We raised about $2 million from Twitter before it started. The, the mainstream media picked up on what we were doing. 
and we ended up with um, yeah, 11,200 by the end of, end of the campaign. The main support we gave campaigns was financial assistance, um, but very important to us that, that we were uh, we were turbocharging campaigns rather than providing the bed, the bedrock of funding. So most campaigns, um, certainly the ones that were, were successful last Saturday, most of those campaigns, our funding was only between 30 and 40% of all their funding. So uh, amazing result. In, in Kuyong, I think um, Monique Ryan's campaign raised more than $1.1 million from 3,000 donors. Um, Climate 200 in that campaign was less than a third of the funding. Um, but another thing we... Uh, we did is advice where where campaigns said, "Hey, we don't know how to run. Um, uh, how do you roster booths?" Um, so we would you know, help them connect them with people who had rostered booths before. The fascinating thing about this movement is most people involved have never been involved in politics before, um, and that was one of the most exciting things at the Auburn Hotel on Saturday night. There were twelve hundred people there, most of whom have never been to a political you know, an election night party. It was it was electric. So. When, whenever campaigns hit a brick wall of uh, of knowledge, we would connect them with experts who knew how to do those tasks and and could give advice. But very important for us and for the campaigns that we took a passive approach in that that we we stepped back and only offered assistance when um, when when needed. And there was criticism during the campaign that independents supported by you weren't truly independent. So did your involvement? present a risk at all in that the biggest strength of an independent is that they're they're not part of any party and that involvement with a bigger movement diminishes that that strength that claim yeah it's interesting those those criticisms came from came from the government or should i say the opposition now um those those criticisms um was part of their playbook of how they deal with deal with this movement we we were deeply careful from before, before they landed on those attack lines, um, that we we didn't want we, the strength of this movement comes in at being genuinely independent, um, and, and the candidates that we supported would uh, would not have accepted any money from us had there been any strings attached, and um, and what I mean, what could those strings be? Uh, we 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 can't imagine what those. Um, how you know how we could have any control, but also why we would want control. It's interesting. We we ran some a focus group about six weeks ago to see how powerful these lines were that the coalition was 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 throwing at Climate Two Hundred, and it was it was it was fascinating to find that they didn't cut through at all um, to the question of um, you know what if these candidates were working together and that they weren't working together, but what if these candidates were working together? The focus group said, "Oh, that, that's great. I, I hope they're working together." Um, said, "What you know? What do you think of Climate Two Hundred? Um, and and people said, "Oh, sounds like a reasonable idea." Um, so we we found that the coalition's lines didn't cut through. Um, certainly, uh, I, I think at times some of the candidates you know found it a distraction. But ultimately, if you want to compete against the big boys, um, in in you know. They are largely boys. Um, you, you, you have to run professional campaigns and that costs a lot of money. But just to put things in context, our, our 12 million, you know, it's a lot of, it's a, it was a lot of money. I, I, don't, I don't want to minimise that. But compared with what um, was spent at the last election, we, we don't have the numbers for what other parties spent this time, but at, at the last election, uh, the coalition was about 180 million, Labor about, I think, 120, uh, Palmer, 84 million, 
and the Greens twenty million. So in the in in the scheme of things, um, we we spent a relatively small amount on the election, but I think it's pretty clear that we were much more strategic, certainly than um, certainly than Palmer, um, who's, who you know, claims he spent a hundred million on this election and didn't win a single uh, lower house seat. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. We've talked a lot on this show about the dishonesty of the so-called teal independence. I've said and written that they're the, the most fraudulent political movement ever foisted upon this country because they're not centrist, as they pretend. They're green left extremists and they're not independent, as they pretend. They are part of a well-funded and carefully orchestrated political movements of dollars and how many these emissions people are living, <laughs> these people are living in an entirely unrealistic world the teal world the Holmes Accord world is all about this post-material feelings-based economy mm-hmm. which yeah. is that it's all labor could still need the votes of one of Simon Holmes Accord's so-called climate independence the form government and checking on two of them last night God help us two of these Simon says independence Simon, I want to ask you a bit more about some of the coverage that we saw of, of Climate 200 and, and the independence because you've called it vitriolic at times and, and nasty. So do you think that there are people in the national media that, that should be asking themselves questions about that after this result? Well, people should be asking questions of them. I don't think they have... Um... I mean, I've spoken to some after. The, the, the treatment by, um, of, of the movement by News Corp was reprehensible. But the the one one thing that you, I think you're you're referring to some comments I made it was fascinating to me how we would often see talking points uh, that clearly came from the coalition given given to journalists typically from um, the Telegraph or the Australian and um, we would get an email at three p.m. saying uh, uh, with with like five questions very very pointed questions ones that really couldn't be left unanswered. Um, down tools, drop everything, um, respond to these questions, and then there'd be a hit job the next day. But within minutes of being published, it would be tweeted out by the the fake moderates, uh, Sharma and Falinski and Tim Wilson would would be tweeting them out right away. And it it very much um, was pretty obvious to all that it was uh, there was an unholy alliance between the journalists for those papers and the fake moderates who were under threat. Mm. And so what happens now for the, the independence movement? You've said that you, you won't remain involved with these candidates at all now that they're elected. Is that right? 
Yeah, we, when it comes to uh, re-election time, we, if, if they would like support again, we'll definitely help them. And if, um, if there are ways we can help in the interim, we'll definitely look into that. Um, one way um, I think of, of this movement is, is that it was, it was already a little fire smouldering along and we threw a whole bunch of petrol on it and then it created a forest fire. Not a great analogy, I know, but, um, but it's, it's going at such a pace right now that it doesn't need us to continue, but we would like it to keep growing. So we're going to keep helping where we can, um, but always respecting that this is first and foremost, a community democracy movement. Uh, and our job is not to direct, uh, but to assist. Mm. And when you say ways to help and that you would be able to assist, what do you mean like that? And have you set any parameters around what that would look like? Yeah, no, we haven't, we haven't yet worked out our, um, your post-election, um, post-mortems are just starting starting next week. Our team's just had uh, an incredibly intense last uh, eight months or so, and we're, we're, most people are taking this week mostly off, and then we start our post-mortems and try to work out next. And to go, we're, we're, we're talking to every one of the campaigns, um, successful and unsuccessful, other people in the, in, in the area, like um, the, um, Kathy McGowan's Community Independence Project, and working out what's next for the movement. I know that there are a lot of people in the movement who are who are really energised for the first time. They, they had their first taste of politics and they liked this brand of politics. And a lot of people are now thinking, what's next? What's next? And I saw in Kuyong in 2019, a, a group of volunteers to Oliver Yates's uh, independent campaign there stuck around and worked really hard and managed to get three councillors onto uh, local government, onto the local Burundara town council. And um, city council, they they uh, you know, were, were invigorated and wanted to keep moving. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people throughout the country. There, there were, there were seventeen thousand volunteers for the um, for the community in the community independence movement last Saturday. And I wouldn't be surprised if many of them want to keep going. And if there are many more communities uh, who either came close or now have uh, are looking over the fence to an electorate near them, thinking, yeah, we could we could have some of that. And so it sounds like these are the types of campaigns that, that Climate 200 will continue to consider being involved in. 2022 wasn't the last election for Climate 200. Absolutely not. No, we're, go- we're, we're, going, we're going to keep going. We, we think this is a watershed, not just a moment. Yeah, for the first time in a very long time, politics, as I said before, politics has become local again. Uh, people really enjoy it. The quality of the representation is uh, really, really high. And we've, and we've I think we've all learned from this last election that uh, the model works, it's viable. Um, and um, the great thing, I think, is that we have, uh, we've had the exemplary role models of, uh, uh, well, first Kathy McGowan, but now Helen Haynes and Zali Stegall. We, we know everyone who's watched them, they're not wreckers, they're builders. Uh, they're sensible, they're no-nonsense. You don't read about them, you don't read about their antics, you read about their policies. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But right now, I think the focus will be on the uh, on well the the six community-backed in- independents, uh, the Green Wave, um, Dai Li down in um, in Fowler. Um, yeah, this the, the the new crossbench will be about the same size as the Nationals uh, in in the lower house, which is just absolutely stunning from where we've come from. Simon, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks, Ruby. It was a pleasure to be on.
Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen.